Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnke, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So good to be here. It is so great to be alive. That's a question. Is it? <laughs> it is so good to be alive. But you've got a inflection on the end. Good to be alive. It's so good to be alive. <laughs> Someone losing confidence <laughs> very quickly, Quick. yeah. Uh, it's so good to be here on the podcast. Do go on, I believe. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, the podcast of dreams. Mm. Yep. And this one's uh, coming out maybe towards the end of the comedy festival, and we're probably losing our minds at this point. At this point, in in real life, yeah, but not at the time we're recording. <laughs> no. We are sharp. We yeah. are well rested. That's right. We are eloquent. We feel fantastic. So this one's straight from the vault. We recorded this in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a good few years ahead of us. <laughs> still young. We don't even know what's coming. <laughs> no. Probably millions of dollars. Well, 
I assume the show is still the same, Matt. How does it so work? So the way it works is one of the three of us goes away and learns about a subject, a topic, normally suggested by a listener, often voted on by the Patreons, and then they bring that knowledge back in the form of a sort of a school report almost, and then they do like an oral presentation, almost like we're in year nine English, and they've taken their 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 topic of choice and they're going to tell it to their peers, the other kids. This week, <laughs> hello, peers. <laughs> hello, other kids. I feel like I, I feel like I ha- at some point during that, I felt like I was on track, and yeah, then I it lost. It felt great it. until yeah. yeah, you fell off. But get back on there. Yeah, uh, and this week, Jess is doing the report. Dave and I are her peers. We are the peers. Her fellow children. Yes, my fellow children. What's up, fellow kids? <laughs> and normally, uh, want to hit the skate park later? I would love to do some ollies. <laughs> I'd love to drop in. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I was so old. Uh, uh, we normally start with a question. Yep. Jess, do you have a question this week to get us on topic? I do. My question is, who was the subject of the book and film both called Into the Wild? Ooh, Walter Mitty. It was not Walter Mitty. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I love that name. So good. Oh, is it is Sean Penn? It's not Sean Penn. He was the director of the film. <laughs> I knew he had something to do with it. Yeah. Is it uh, one of those monsters that Angus Sampson played in the movie that sounds kind of like that? Where the Hunter, wild things are. Where the wild things are, yes. Uh, it, is, it has nothing to do with uh, Angus Sampson, oh, unfortunately. Okay. Unfortunately. Okay. Anyone from Recovery at all? Any uh, of the cast? No. <laughs> well, let's go through them all now no. just in Dylan case. Lewis. Absolutely Jane Gazzo. No. I'm out. Um, uh, uh, the director of Saw. There's a couple of names. Lee Wannell. That, um, that, that would both be correct. Oh, a couple of names. I could give you the first names and see if you can finish it off. Right. Jack- Chris? Christopherson. Not Chris Christopherson. We're going to have a crack here. Chris Parker. Not Chris Parker. The New Zealand comedian. That's why it's in my mind. <laughs> yeah, because he's here for the Comedy Festival. Yes, yes. In five years' time because this is 2018. Yeah, great, great, great. Um, uh, he's going to be big. He's going to be huge. Uh, up and comer. Or the, okay, so not Chris or Alexander. Or is, is it Graham Chris, Bell. Is it Chris Alexander? It is not. <laughs> so gonna, okay, I'll give you the first name. If you don't get it, then I'll give you the last name. Steve either. Have we heard, would we have heard of these? Potentially. People? I mean, it's been suggested by a lot of people. Christoph Waltz. I won't. I won't give away the actual name. I'll. I'll. Because I'll, I'll tell you in the first few sentences. Okay, fantastic. But firstly, I'll. I'll um, so that's a point for both me and David. Absolutely not. No points awarded there. Maybe a point for me for my patience. I'm going to start asking brutally hard questions if that's your attitude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> name this very specific person. Did what? you know the name before you did the report? Yeah. Really? You would have got and this question. not Walter Mitty. It's not Walter Mitty. <laughs> is it Alexander Mitty? It's not Alexander. Is it Chris Mitty? It is. <laughs> is it Sean Penn Mitty? It's not Sean Penn Mitty. Mm. Gosh. Walter Mitty has nothing to do with this, if I Who can be honest. Who is Walter Mitty? A, a, Why do you keep mentioning a, him? A character from a film. Okay. And probably, I think, a book also. Anyway. Right. Which also, this is a book and film. <gasps> that's what I There's was connection. thinking. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's the connection. So this has been suggested by uh, Mac Shildroth from Canada, Vinnie Policastro from New Jersey, uh, Jamison D from Virginia, Aidan Whalen from Connecticut, Louis uh, Angel from Wales, and Nick Slater from Cambridge in the UK. And this is how we'll start. In early 1992, a man named Wayne Westerberg received a postcard from his friend and former employee, Alex. The postcard read, 
This is the last you should hear from me, Wayne. Arrived here two days ago. It's very difficult to catch rides in the Yukon Territory, but I finally got here. Please return all mail I received to the sender. It might be a very long time before I return south. If this adventure proves fatal and you don't ever hear from me again, I want you to know you're a great man. I now walk into the wild. Whoa, that's sick. What a sign-off. Yeah. What's on the other side of the postcard? Is it like, you know, a picture of like a couple of beers or something? <laughs> it's like, that's very poetic for a, It didn't really match the tone of the <laughs> yeah, postcard. The post, you turned over, it's a very risque postcard. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I now walk into the Whoa. wild. What and I imagine that the guy who received the postcard went, Chris who? Yeah. Chris Mitty? Like, <laughs> well, it actually was, it was from Alex. <laughs> So he would have been super confused. Uh, opening then. sentence: he, <laughs> he got a postcard from his friend and former employee, Alex. Alex, yeah, I can see why he'd be confused. But Alex was actually Christopher Johnson McCandless. <laughs> Chris McCandless. Okay. Born- why is he called Alex? This is confusing. <laughs> You'll find out. He was born in Inglewood, California, in February 1968. The eldest child of Walt. <laughs> See, Matt, and you've done your research on this before. (laughs) Walter Mitty's son. (laughs) No, Walt McCandless and Billy McCandless. Um, He had a younger sister named Corrine, who he was very, very close to. Corrine Abdul-Jabbar? No, No, Corrine McCandless. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. (laughs) This is one of those families where they've all got the same surname. Is there any relation? (laughs) To Corrine... McCandless. McCandless. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She is her. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. This is a nightmare episode early. <laughs> Sorry, Jess. No, I think it's fine because the episode gets real sad and grim. So, it's oh, good okay. to keep it nice right, yeah, and we'll light, keep it light here. It's a great name, McCandless. I'm, Isn't it? Because I thought you'd say it and it would, like, you know, you know, trigger a memory of it. Like, oh, maybe I have heard that, but I haven't. And I can say I've never heard that name because I love it. And and are you aware? <laughs> I've never heard anything I love before. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously aware that Sean Penn was uh, attached to the film. Yes, I so know the vague concept of the movie. I've never seen it though. Yeah. Okay. Great. Matt, how, any- how old's the film? Uh two thousand and I want to say seven. Yeah, I, I think I vaguely. You I, might recognize Into the Wild as a name. I under, I've I've heard of, but yeah. beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Um, Well, in the mid-1970s, when Chris was around eight, the family moved to Virginia, where Walt had secured a job as an antenna specialist with NASA. Billy worked for Hughes Aircraft Company, a major American aerospace and defense contractor founded in the 30s by a previous report topic, Howard Hughes. What a guy. What a wild, wild wild guy. Um, Now, Chris's life story was largely made famous by the book Into the Wild, which was first published in 1996 and written by John Krakauer. Incredible name. Also a fantastic name. John Krakauer. I'll talk a bit more about John's book later, but I think it's worth mentioning early um, that there were very important details left out of Krakauer's book on purpose. So Krakauer spoke extensively to Chris's sister, Corrine, who gave really important and insightful information into their childhoods and upbringing. And she told John about their father's alcoholism, the verbal and physical abuse that their parents inflicted on each other and on the children, and the blame they placed on Chris for being the reason they were stuck in the marriage. So Corrine asked John not to include her and her brother's difficult childhood in his book. At the time, there was hope for her to have a healthy relationship with her parents and didn't want the story to ruin any chance of that. So Krakauer honoured her request, although some people commented later that they had picked up on the subtle implications he'd made um, to allude to this abuse. But why is this worth mentioning at this point? Because 
The story of what Chris McCandless did and what happens to him was hugely divisive and a polarising story, and for the first two decades that people were telling the story of Chris McCandless, they weren't fully informed about some of the reasons and motivations that he had to live a nomadic lifestyle. So we have a bit more of that context now as we learn a little bit more. Gotcha. So Chris graduated high school in 1986, and while he excelled academically, a number of teachers and fellow students observed that he marched to the beat of a different drummer. McCandless also served as captain of the cross-country team, where he would urge teammates to treat running as a spiritual exercise in which they were running against the force of darkness, all the evil in the world, all the hatred. (laughs) So he was a pretty intense teenager. The other people like, I just like running real fast. (laughs) And far. And he's like, no, we run against <laughs> darkness. During the summer before college, um, Chris took his his Datsun. His, he, had, he bought a secondhand yellow Datsun that he absolutely loved and he took it on a road trip, something he was sort of known to do during school breaks. He'd just go on adventures. He drove from their home in Virginia back to Southern California, which is a big trip. It's like 2,600 miles, 4,000 Ks, and visited family who still lived there. And it was during this trip that he learnt of a family secret. Oh. His mother, Billy, was not Walt's first wife. In fact, his father, Walt McCandless, had been married when Chris's parents had met at work and started an affair. Billy had become pregnant with Chris, and for a time, Walt had split his time between two separate families. Secretly? No, both women knew of each other. Okay. He even fathered another child with his first wife after Chris was born, and Chris discovered that he had six half-siblings from his father's first marriage. And the author, John Krakow, speculated that this discovery had a profound impact on Chris's outlook on life. So he comes back from the road trip, and I believe it didn't tell his parents that he knew the truth about his half-siblings, but he did tell his sister, and he left Virginia for Emory College in Atlanta. How did he discover the secret? Or not the, yeah, the secret. He went home. He went back to California and visited family. Right, and they were just like, oh, have you seen your secret yeah, they, half? They <gasps> told I've him. said too much. Oh, yeah. no. Wow. Yeah. Without checking in with the parents or anything? Yeah, well, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I think the, I don't know, the relationship between that family and his parents wasn't great. Right. Potentially, yeah. I don't. I don't know exactly I how it came that, about. Well, maybe because he had a second family. Yeah, second family, and 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 maybe some of that family had witnessed some of the not so great treatment of the kids. So maybe we're just like, hey, you need to know. Your dad's not great. So despite his scruffier appearance than that of his classmates, Chris was a really bright student, got great grades all through college. Despite his scruffiness, he's Well, he just sort of didn't fit in. Right. A a, a few sources kind of mentioned that, like. That is scruffy. Well, just because, like, it's. I'm picturing a beard. You're going off to, like, a fancy college and everybody's. Very straight-laced and, like... He's, he's like, slightly undone. <laughs> he's running from class to class, escaping the darkness, <laughs> like, this yelling about it. They're like, this guy is a bit different. This guy's wild. But, yeah, he was very bright. He graduated in 1990 with a double major in history and anthropology, um, but he saw titles and honours as immaterial and irrelevant. Right. What's anthropology again? Study of people. Yes, that's what I thought as well. Yeah. Anthropods. That's us. <laughs> Well, people were anthropologists. We're anthropologists. Anthropology or people's apologies. <laughs> Sorry to all people. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, uh, he's got a double major, and he's like, I don't care, you know, degrees. It's, it's all, it's all bullshit. It's all made up. Later, he would say that, <laughs> but I have finished it, and I cannot take that away from me. <laughs> he would say that university is a twentieth-century fad and not something to aspire to. <laughs> 
20th century fad. There's only a couple of years left in the century and it's been here the whole time, but I reckon it's going to die oh, out gonna by die the out. end of the century. Don't worry about it. We haven't been doing education that long <laughs> and we won't. Um, he'd always had a bit of a restless spirit, but it was really coming into its own at this time in his life. When his parents announced they were going to buy Chris a new car as a graduation present, he became furious. He was really angry because um, <laughs> okay. he already had a perfectly good car. Why did he need a new car? He you had know? a Datsun, all 120B. The, all the material 1600. shit. He's like, I got a car. Velvet interior. Velvet. <laughs> and yellow. Yeah. Beautiful. Jeez, that's some good stuff. But, I mean, it's funny that he gets mad about it. Couldn't he just be like, I'm okay. Thank you, though. Yeah, but I think, like, you know, it's that sort of young teen angst sort of thing of like, oh, you, you, these parents are the man, you know, and they're like. They're always trying to give me free, expensive new cars. Yeah. It's like, you oh. disgust me. Yeah. It's I heard that. his parents were bad news and didn't treat their kids well, but I didn't know they were buying them cars. That's awful. Terrible <laughs> That's stuff. horrible they stuff. They really crossed the line in my mind too. He had a, he had a college fund, which was apparently like a gift from a, a family friend. Oh, God. The family friends are awful as well. Like a, I think childless family friend had sort of given um, Chris and Corrine um, money towards college, and um, Chris still had about twenty four thousand dollars in his college fund, and he's, um, you know, a discussion with his parents was um, that he'd use that to attend law school, and they're obviously delighted. Um, but Chris had an entirely different plan. Not long after he graduated, Chris donated the entire twenty four thousand dollars to Oxfam America, got rid of all his stuff. Packed up his car with a few essentials and left. It was the summer of 1990 and Chris drove west in a cross-country trip to California. By the end of the summer, he was in Lake Mead, Arizona. Um, He drove his car down into a dry riverbed to camp. He took out what little money he had with him, about $120, and set it on fire. (laughs) Oxfam could have had that. He set it on fire. Fire. For warmth? No. Was this the middle of winter? Uh, No, summer. Hmm. Okay. Was he hearing performing? much? <laughs> he could have saved that for the winter time to burn. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Or, or saved it for like performing a magic show for other people. That's true. I'm sure it would have been a nice warm fire, $120 <laughs> worth. <laughs> or $1 yeah. bills. Well, these days, $120 wouldn't get you much warmth, would it? The way the bloody <laughs> yeah. gas bills are. <laughs> so while he's uh, in Lake Mead, he's kind of parked his car like in a dry riverbed, but Lake Mead was hit with flash flooding and he sort of had just enough time to get out a few bits and pieces out of his car. He was sort of camping in his car at the time. He had time to get out a few bits and pieces and get away. And then set those on fire as well. <laughs> is that true? Did he just was he a pyro? <laughs> he was not a pyro. But the car is like being flooded. Yeah the car's that would he would have hated that much flood. harder to burn. <laughs> wet car. Why do I smell a wet car? <laughs> So, but he's got the bare essentials. Yeah, and his car's been hit by a flash flood. Okay, and he's got no cash because he's burnt it. He's burnt it all. He doesn't need it. There's doesn't not- want it. Doesn't need it. Are there many shops out in the in the wild? I mean, he's like in and out of towns. So he could have kept the cash. Yep. But he didn't want it. He didn't doesn't want to want have a, a safety net. Yep. That's right. I get it. He's burned his bridges on purpose. Yeah. He loves burning stuff. He loves to burn. That's like when Dave quit his last job mm-hmm. and and TV, and he said. He looked at his boss in the eyes and he said, if I ever see you again, <laughs> I will fuck you in the face. Yeah. And then he did like fists up. Yeah. He said, hey, hmm? check one, two. Uh-huh. You know? Which is really not very intimidating with Dave's tiny little arms. <laughs> uh, but- oh, oh, you're laughing. Okay. See you in the car park. <laughs> yeah. But he had the crazy eyes. Yeah. yeah. 
He's that if I see cool. you again, so don't even think about giving me this job That's back. That's why I love burning bridges, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Please take me back, please. I'm so sorry about that. that <laughs> no, a, no. That was a really bad choice. It's too late, Dave. Shouldn't have set my wallet on fire in the middle of the office either. <laughs> that was dumb. It set the sprinklers off and it ruined a lot of very expensive television equipment. <laughs> and the ability to burn them because yeah. <laughs> they're all damp now. Which is all I want to do. I just want to burn it. I want to burn. So Chris figured he may as well ditch the car. It, it wasn't insured. His driver's license and license plates had expired. So even just driving it around was a little bit of a ticking time bomb of when he was going to get in trouble for that anyway. So he removed the plates. He buried them um, somewhere <laughs> like nearby, left a note on the car saying that the car was abandoned and up for grabs, um, took what he could carry and continued on foot. Right. And a little fun fact, his car was later found, repaired and put into service as an undercover vehicle for local police department. Wow. He probably wouldn't have liked that. His car has become like a narc car. Yeah, his car was involved in a lot of drug busts. (laughs) He's like, He'd probably be quite upset by that. The man got my car. God damn it. Meanwhile, back home- I said free to a good home, not a (laughs) narc home. (laughs) Meanwhile, back home, his parents hadn't heard from him for a while. He had his final college transcripts and grades mailed to his parents' house, and they'd arrived in June, and his parents were like, oh, he's got great grades, good. And the instructions were to burn them. Burn them. Um, But they didn't hear from him for a couple of months. And by August, they were a little concerned. Um, He didn't have a phone at his apartment either, so they're like, they couldn't call him. So they drove to visit him in Atlanta only to find his apartment empty and a full rent sign out the front. And when they returned home to Virginia, they found that all the letters that they'd sent to Chris over the summer had been returned. He had asked the post office to hold the letters until August before returning them to their sender. And this was done so that it would be a while before his parents realised that Chris was missing. He was basically giving himself a head start. Okay. Clever. How old is he again, sorry? He's like 19. Right. Oh, he's probably a little bit – he's like 21, sorry. Right. Um, While on the road, Chris also took on a new identity. He introduced himself to fellow travellers as Alex. Alexander Graham Bell. Would write his name as Alexander Supertramp. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic cover. That is a good name. Nobody's questioning (laughs) Supertramp. So he's now travelling northwest and he hitchhiked into the Sierra Nevada mountains. For a couple of months, he's travelling all over the place, sometimes on trains, but mostly hitchhiking. And while hitchhiking, he met a man known as Crazy Ernie, who offered him work at a rundown ranch in Northern California. After working the ranch for 11 days, however, McCandless realised that Crazy Ernie was never going to pay him. So he left the ranch and resumed hitchhiking. Apparently, he like the ranch that Crazy Ernie had <laughs> just had like piles of junk and stuff around. So, uh, and there was uh, plenty of other like vagabonds or people who were just traveling working there for him as well. And Chris is like, this guy's never going to pay us. So he took a bike that was like just in one of the many junk piles and, and rode set it, it on to a fire. town. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm, Ernie. I'm let go of the fire thing. <laughs> he does that once. <laughs> no, this guy's a pyro. <laughs> And Crazy Ernie, yet another example of nominative determinism. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> he's named in that. Soon after, he started r- running a, a telephone shop. <laughs> Crazy Ernie's deal. <laughs> if they're on the floor, they're out the door. If this man is known as Crazy Ernie, does that mean he's introducing himself as Crazy Ernie? And, he, and the other guy said, hi, I'm Alexander Supertramp. He, he said, said, hello, I'm Crazy Ernie. I've got a job for you, Supertramp. <laughs> it's interesting that he is now looking for cash again. Because he did, if I recall right, he had some, but then he- he set it on fire. Yep. Wow. There you go. They now, think now, sh- now he just wants a little bit. Mm. And then he'll set that on fire. <laughs> You're obsessed with him being a pyro. Obviously, he's looking for things to burn. Right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and money is the most flammable thing. Yeah. Most flammable thing. He Name had money something- to burn. Now he's burnt it. 
Now he's got no money to burn. <laughs> Name something money. more flammable than money. I can't. Ooh. You can't. I can't. I've thought about it. Oh, what? A, oh, like lighter fluid? Nah. nah. Money. Money is. Yeah, it more is more flammable. Mm-hmm. It's pretty dangerous. Fire. Nah. Money is more flammable mm. than fire. Fire will put out money. <laughs> it's that flammable. <laughs> 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 I guess fire is probably the least flammable thing. Yeah. You can't set fire to fire, can you? And there you it is. can fight fire with fire. You can. There is the stupidest thing we've ever said. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. It'd be up there. Yeah, it'd definitely be up there, but we've said some pretty dumb shit. All you have to do is look through that um, Do Go On Wisdom Twitter account. You're like, God, we said some stupid stuff. Yeah, that's going on there. <laughs> And we'll read it and go, I have no idea the context yeah. of that. So he's uh, he's left crazier in his ranch. He's but at been- least he's got a bike now. That's pretty good. Well, yeah, he, he rides the bike to like a town and then hitchhikes out of there. So he's bouncing all over the place. He's picking up jobs here and there for short periods of time. And he's living the nomadic vagabond lifestyle that he had dreamt of. Apparently at one point he like worked in a McDonald's for a couple of months. Um, he worked in like a, was it a bar in Vegas or something? Like he's just kind of, he's picking up a little bit of work to stock up on supplies, and then he takes off again. does sound like the Poker Face show, except he's not solving mysteries on the mm-hmm. run. <laughs> or is he? Or is he? Oh. Nah. <laughs> In the autumn of 1990, Chris is picked up hitchhiking by a man named Wayne Westerberg, who I mentioned at the very top. <gasps> Postcard man. The two got chatting. Chris told Wayne um, that it was his plan to go to Seiko Hot Springs, a place he'd heard about from some rubber tramps. And the <laughs> rubber tramps are people who... Um, who are like traveling around just wandering, but they have a car, they have a vehicle. Leather tramps are the ones who are on foot. So he'd heard from some rubber tramps. Gotcha. About these hot springs. He's like, I'm going to go there. I get the rubber tramps as the tires. Yeah. It's the, the leather. Shoes. They're, we- they're wearing leather shoes. Gotcha. I would guess so, yeah. Dress shoes. Yeah. Yep. Leather the soles. Best. Cuban. Ooh. Lovely heel. What? That's- you can't look nice on the road? Well, no, I, I would hope you would. <laughs> you can't be dressed for any occasion on the road? I'd rather be overdressed than underdressed, mate. <laughs> that's, Let me that's tell you that much. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. I'm, I'm out on – I'm hiking in high heels. Yes. Okay? Just in Because I don't know if there's maybe a fancy soiree at the top of that hill. <laughs> I can't see. It's really high up. I can't see. It's quite high, a tall mountain. Champagne on arrival. And I don't want to look a fool. Yeah. You know? Full face makeup, ball gown heels, any occasion. <laughs> yeah. Ready to go. And if somebody's like, what are you doing? It's just casual. In that case, I'm like, this is a bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? This but it's funny. always better to be overdressed than underdressed. And you can always take off a dress. Exactly right. But yeah, it's very hard to put on a dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is. He gets it. <laughs> I get trapped in them. Where's the head hole? There's a hole either side. Yeah. Is this on right? <laughs> Where's the head hole? There's a hole either side. <laughs> what do I do? What? Dave's always got his head stuck He's out the always, arm. Yeah, he looks great though. He does make it work. Uh, so when they they're driving along, they get to the spot where Chris wants to be dropped off, and the weather is horrendous. It's really wet, um, and Wayne's like, "Hey, why don't I've got a trailer? Like a I've got a place to stay. You can come and crash with me. I'll give you a lift back here tomorrow. But like, it's horrendous." Don't head off right now. Chris is like, all right. So he stays with Wayne for three days. And when he's finally ready to move on, Wayne told Alex, as he knew him, to look him up in Carthage, South Dakota, if he was ever passing by and wanted some work. Because Wayne owned and operated a grain elevator and could offer Alex some work if he wanted it. Don't ask me what a grain elevator is. It's just, I think it's like a silo kind of thing. Like it's 
storing grain. A few weeks later, Alex turned up in Carthage and Wayne was true to his word. He later said that Alex was the hardest worker he'd ever seen. He said, didn't matter what it was, he would do it. Hard physical labour, mucking rotten grain and dead rats out of the bottom of the hole. If he started a job, he'd finish it. He described this work ethic to almost be a moral thing for Alex and also described him as someone who read a lot and also thought too much. He would get stuck on things, needing to find the absolute right answer before he could move on in his brain. The two were quite fond of each other and it seemed Chris enjoyed time working for Wayne. I'm going to use Chris and Alex fairly interchangeably sometimes here because some most people know him as Alex. We know him as Alex or Chris, but his name is Chris. Okay. Unfortunately, police arrived and arrested Wayne Westerberg for selling black boxes. Essentially, it was like pirated satellite TV. <laughs> And with Westerberg jailed, work dried up, and Chris was feeling a little restless anyway, so he decided to move on and head back out on the road. He'd been there for, I think, a couple of months, and some people kind of theorised that if Wayne hadn't been hadn't got arrested, then maybe Chris would have stayed there a bit longer and, like, headed off in better weather later. Who knows? But he's moving on. Before leaving Carthage, McCandless gave Westerberg a 1942 edition of Leo Tolstoy's novel War and Peace and later sent him a postcard. This is quite a long postcard, but it's quite nice. Yeah, that makes sense. War and Peace is a long postcard too. (laughs) (laughs) He writes, Hey, Wayne, how's it going? I hope that your situation is improved since the time we last spoke. I've been tramping around Arizona for about a month now. This is a good state. There is all kinds of fantastic scenery and the climate is wonderful. But apart from sending greetings, the main purpose of this card is to thank you once again for all your hospitality. It's rare to find a man as generous and good-natured as you are. Sometimes I wish I hadn't met you, though. Tramping is too easy with all this money. My days were more exciting when I was penniless and had to forage around for my next meal. I couldn't make it now without money, however, as there is very little fruiting agriculture down here at this time. Please thank Kevin again for all the clothes he gave me. I would have froze to death without them. I hope that he got that book to you. Wayne, you really should read War and Peace. I meant it when I said you had one of the highest characters of any man I've met. This is a very powerful and symbolic book. It has things in it that I think you will understand, things that escape most people. As for me, I've decided that I'm going to live this life for some time to come. The freedom and simple beauty of it is just too good to pass up. One day I'll get back to you, Wayne, and repay some of your kindness. A case of Jack Daniels, maybe? Till then, I'll always think of you as a friend. God bless you, Alexander. It's a lovely postcard. Isn't that really nice? And I think it's cool because it it kind of gives you a bit of an insight into why he's why he's burning money, why he's living this lifestyle. He enjoys the freedom. He enjoys... The challenge, I guess. Mm, does seem like he likes the challenge. Yeah, yeah, of having to sort of think on his feet to figure stuff out, to rough it a little bit. Anyway, from uh, this fascinating website, wikipedia.org, which I think is like an outdoorsman kind of site. Right. right. That's why I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> w be for wood, woods. Yeah. I, I into the. Into the. Uh, K for. Can. Yep. Let's go into the woods. <laughs> I for into the woods again. Into the <laughs> woods. I went home for a bit, but I'm back in the woods. P for people who go into the woods. <laughs> e for E. I'm having a great time <laughs> in the woods. D is obviously the, the woods. woods. The woods yeah. <laughs> is where I'm at. <laughs> I, as we've established, is into the, into woods. the woods again. Sorry, I had to go home for a little bit, but I'm back into the woods. And A is Alexander Supertramp. Uh, Alexander Supertramp. <laughs> I'm having a great time in the woods. 
So from that wonderful .org website, McCandlison headed to Colorado where he used money from his job to buy kayak supplies as well as a handgun. He then navigated the Colorado River without a permit and was occasionally pursued by wildlife and park rangers who had heard of his exploits from other (laughs) river travellers, several of whom had been concerned that McCandless had been seen whitewater rafting in dangerous areas of the river with no safety equipment. It's also worth noting that um, Chris McCandless was scared of water. Mm. Wow, so he's, he's really decided. Gone for it. Yeah. If it puts out fires. It's being pursued. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how's that? Being pursued by both the authorities and the animals. Were they in cahoots to <laughs> take him out? Wildlife oh. rangers. Mm. I don't think Try he was. Seeking some sort of furry vengeance. <laughs> 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 A classic Brendan Fraser film, uh, recently covered on Phrasing the Bar, our Patreon only podcast. An absolute beauty. We loved it. Um, the authorities <laughs> attempted but never succeeded in locating McCandless, who was wanted due to his lack of proper river training as well as kayaking on the river without a valid boating license. Um, McCandless eventually followed the Colorado River all the way to Mexico where he crossed the international border through a spillway at a dam. After encountering waterfalls through which he could no longer navigate in a canoe, McCandless abandoned his river journey and spent a few days alone in a village in Mexico. With no way to support himself, he attempted to re-enter the US and was arrested for carrying a firearm at a border checkpoint. McCandless was briefly held in custody but released without charges after his gun was confiscated. Following this experience in Mexico, McCandless began hitchhiking north, eventually winding up back in South Dakota. He, the trouble with him is because he loves starting, uh, like burning stuff so much, both of his arms would be firearms, you know, because they're always. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you cross through without. Yeah, without know, firearms. Yeah, it was like both of these. The government of. Got him on a list. <laughs> Two of the most deadliest <laughs> firearms. Yeah. <laughs> now that might be the stupidest thing we've ever said. Uh, again, I don't know. Um, you regretted it instantly, we'll which get was there fun today, to watch. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we're pushing. There. We're pushing hard today. <laughs> it's 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 coming naturally. Today. Oh, honestly, this sounds like the best. I'm so um, envious of this trip. I'm envious of, of him enjoying this trip because yeah. I, would, I would never do this. Yeah. I do not see myself doing any any of this kind of stuff. I don't see why he would want to do it, but I also see the fun and adventure if you are enjoying that kind of thing. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. I wish I was a free spirit enough to do this, and but see, I would overthink it at every point. And I'll talk about this later as well, but I think a lot of people feel a bit that way or people who are slightly more inclined to that sort of adventure than we are really romanticized his whole trip his whole sort of journey and kind of admire him for it and other people are like you're an idiot you've gone into things with like no experience you could have killed yourself on the river because you don't have kayaking experience you don't have the permit nobody knows you're out that you know oh i'd be dead by now for sure 100 percent. i'd be so bored for starters (laughs) i'd be like where's netflix God, following a river all the way down America and Mexico. That yeah. sounds sick, I think. Pretty amazing. I'm pe- I mean, the picture in my head is amazing. And also the, the like- You should check out the picture in my head oh my sometime, God. Jess. Could you show me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, that's beautiful. <laughs> How did we do that? <laughs> you also think, like, the, the miles that he's covering hitchhiking and walking is insane as well. And I also feel like- I'm sort of surprised that early 90s hitchhiking is still, like, mm. happening and so prevalent and he's fine, you know, like he's 
he's meeting nice people, making great connections with people. Yeah, I must say when Wayne was like, hey, come back to my trailer, I was like, oh, dear. This happens a few times for him. He, like, I haven't even mentioned a few of the people that he, that really made an impact on him and and he on them. Like, he made friends along the way. There was this woman, Jan, and her uh, her boyfriend, Bob, who were, like, they were rubber tramps. They had, like, a uh, van kind of thing. And they just kind of stumbled upon him one day. He was, like, foraging for berries where they'd stopped and they and she was just sort of looked at him and was like, he looks hungry or, you know, like we should t- – he's around the same age as my son. I'll take him in. And they and he stayed with them for a little bit and they fed him and they became good friends. So- at one point he he gets picked up by this like 80-year-old man who – and they just click, get along really well. He like stays with him for a few days, wanders off. A few weeks later he like calls him to come pick him up from somewhere and they just have this really lovely friendship um, and I just think that's wild because it's, it's really interesting as well because he obviously he wanted to get away from people in a certain way, but he's also clearly so good with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very. He seems to be very endearing. People who meet him are really drawn to him. Um, nobody in like telling this story is like I don't know that guy gave me a bad vibe. Like yeah. they all think maybe he's a little eccentric, um, but he's he's friendly and they really like him. So it's strange, isn't it? Because I can't imagine hitchhiking. Or if I was in strife and I'm walking along, I would be so suspicious of anybody who's stopping to offer help as well. But this is the early 90s. And that's right. And true crime podcasts hadn't come out yet. That's so right. They we weren't aware. We didn't know. No one knew about the concept of murder. There is something, there's something a bit sad about that, right? That we don't trust people as much as we mm. used to, like because of a couple of bad apples. Yeah. yeah. But like those bad apples, they're pretty bad. They're not like, just mean to you; they'll kill you. And it's, it's there's nothing fun, meaner than it? that. Nothing. There isn't though, no. is there? I can't think of any. <laughs> so from the very beginning, though, Chris had always dreamt of Alaska. He'd made a few short trips to Alaska before, but now that he was out fulfilling his dream of this nomadic lifestyle, Alaska was his goal. In early 1992, he hitchhiked from South Dakota all the way to Fairbanks, Alaska. That is a huge trip. Alaska is so far away and it's so fucking big. It's huge, as we've discussed very recently. Yeah, one-fifth of the entire continent, right? It's massive. Entire country. Do you have to go through Canada to get to Alaska? Yeah, you have to go, yeah, west through. Hmm. Makes you think. Mm, it does. Because <laughs> uh, the US bought it off someone. Russia or something. Yeah, we right. talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Water mm. from Russia. Mm. You think Canada Seward's folly. would have made more sense for Canada to have bought it, seeing as it was touching them. Yeah. yeah oh, maybe. So now we've got to buy everything we touch? Well, mm. uh, your shop is a nightmare to <laughs> you, go to. <laughs> you, you touch it, you buy it. Yeah. That's my rule. You think about it, you buy it. You're in my shop, you've bought it. If you look at it, it's yours. <laughs> I need to get out of here. <laughs> Please help Make me. Make me an offer. Your shop now. I accept. Congratulations. I'll take everything in your wallet. So he's made it all the way to Fairbanks in Alaska. On the 28th of April, he's hitchhiking just outside Fairbanks and he was picked up by a local electrician named Jim Galleon. Um, Chris explained he was heading to the Stampede Trail, a very remote trail, um, apparently about 37 miles or 60 k's around trip um, that has two major river crossings along it as well. So it's a pretty – parts of it are sort of – Paved roads, but only small parts. It's a pretty, um, pretty tough trail. 
And they've obviously got a fair way to drive because <laughs> it's Alaska and everything's so spread out. So as the two were driving along and chatting, Jim Gallion made a few observations about the boy he'd picked up, who had introduced himself as Alex. First, his pack seemed too light for the type of hiking he was setting out to do. It didn't appear that he had enough or the right kind of equipment. He had very few rations with him. He had about a 10-pound bag of rice, and that seemed to sort of be the staple, but he had very little else with him. He had a rifle, um, but it became pretty clear to Galleon that this kid didn't have much of the relevant experience. So Galleon later said he had deep doubts about Alex's ability to survive the harsh and unforgiving Alaskan bush. He tried repeatedly to persuade Alex to delay his trip. At one point, he even offered to detour to Anchorage to buy him some supplies and equipment. He was like, don't. I don't think you're set up for this. I can get you more stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'll pay for more stuff. But Alex politely refused and seemed content to go on his way. Galleon managed to convince Alex to take a pair of extra tough boots. They were waterproof, really tough boots. Much better option than Chris's shoes, which weren't waterproof. (laughs) Flip-flops. It's like, I'm good. Um, Galleon also had some sa- a couple of sandwiches and a packet of corn chips, and he gave those to Alex as well. He's like, just take some food, please. Take some corn chips. <laughs> With that, Galleon dropped Chris off and thought to himself that this kid would probably wander back towards the highway in a couple of days and hitchhike out of there. He's like, he's not going to last too long. It's, yeah. He'll, he'll be right. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was that saving been, them for my wedding. That has been stressing. <laughs> That has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also... Not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. After a couple of days of hiking, Chris came upon an old abandoned bus. It was originally one of uh, one of the buses used by the Utan Construction Company to provide site accommodation for the construction crew from Fairbanks that were working on road upgrades in 1960. And inside it had a couple of beds and a wood-burning stove. 
and the other buses had been removed after they were no longer needed. But this particular bus, bus 142, had a broken rear axle, so it was just left behind. They just didn't bother moving it, which was great um, because it kind of meant that um, other people had, as they were doing this track, they'd use it for shelter. Um, Originally, Chris attempted to continue heading west until he hit the Bering Sea. However, he was deterred by the thick Alaskan bush and returned to the bus where he set up camp. In his journal, he marked his arrival at the bus as Magic Bus, which it would affectionately be referred to from then on. He had four and a half kilos or, or 10 pounds of rice, a Remington uh, automatic rifle with 400 rounds of ammunition, a number of books, including one on local plant life, some personal effects, and a few items of camping equipment. He took quite a lot of photos along the way, and he he wrote in his journal. And self-portrait photos and journal entries indicate that he foraged for edible plants and hunted game, including porcupines, squirrels, and birds. On uh, the 9th of June... He managed to stalk and shoot a moose. He noted this down in his journal in big capital bubble writing with several exclamation marks. Like his journal sort of has like, it'll just sort of say day this and just like a few little notes and this one's just in much bigger writing than everything else. It just says moose. Moose and the S is like one of those stussy S's. That's a lot of meat, I imagine, Isn't it? Yeah. And so like if you can preserve it, that's going to set him up for ages. Rice and moose. Great that combo. Like a great combo. Beautiful stew. I assume he's got like some spices and stuff. Mm. When I say personal effects, he's got yeah, yeah. a little kitchen set up. Personal spice rack. <laughs> Oregano. <right>. That's <laughs> probably in there. Yeah, what else? Uh, basil. Yep. <laughs> Cumin. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, pepper. <laughs> pepper. Pepper. Paprika. Paprika. Um. <laughs> what else is in there? Trader Joe's bagel mix. <laughs> 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 Everything bagel seasoning from Trader Joe's. <laughs> God, they love Trader Joe's. I loved, I, when I was in LA, I loved it too. Great. So What's, good. What is Trader Joe's? It's like a, a chain of supermarket. Right. But they've got their own brand of everything. Ah, okay. You see it a lot on TikTok. People are like, I got this from Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because I we don't have that same relationship with supermarkets. Not really. It's not like oh, I got this from Coles. Yeah, I mean, we have, there's Coles brand everything, but mm. I, I don't really see people being like holding it up to the camera, their <laughs> other hand behind to show you their Coles <laughs> oregano. <laughs> you know, that's funny. <laughs> Trader Jazz. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he's he's shot a moose, but he didn't have a lot of experience in preserving the meat and his attempts failed, so the meat was spoiled. Oh, <sighs> poor moose. So, yeah, it was a waste of moose. Waste of a big animal. And not super helpful for him either. What were his attempts at doing that? I don't know. I think they talk about it in – I think Krakow talks about it a little bit in his book. Um, I didn't really note much of it down. I, don't, I have no idea how you would preserve – You've got to like, salt it or keep yeah, it really cold so. or something. Because it feels like it would be pretty cold already. Yeah, being Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how you would I – don't, I don't think the bus had a freezer in it. Certainly not a moose size one. We <laughs> didn't mention salt as one of the seasonings. Oh, I think he has it. He and tried to put the bagel mix on it. And it will. <laughs> like, it might have a. It does have salt in it. Right. But, but not, not enough, enough. Not enough. Um, you know a bit about this bagel mix, Bob? Yeah. Garlic, onion, what? Uh, salt. How do you know this? Because it's everything seasoning. You know the everything bagel you have. Uh huh. That's that's the seasoning. Right. From Trader Joe's. From Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's came up with everything bagels. No. Basically. But that's basically the, that's the seasoning you can get. Wow. 
And it's a baker and bagels. It's really good in Boiler room. avocado. Oh, so yeah, we brought some back from Trader Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. You didn't bring any for me? Absolutely not. And you can't get everything. I'll bring back some from Coles. I think the only thing, the only place you can get it in Australia is like Costco. Oh, yeah. To like a proper, or there's, I found a company that called it avocado toast stuff and you would, you sprinkle that in your avocado, mash it all up. Oh, it's good stuff. Heaven. Yeah, right. Absolute heaven. Also a fan of Dukkha. Oh, yeah, yep. Dukkha mm, delicious. Don't mind a bit of Dukkha. None of this will help preserve a moose, though. Sorry, that's Dukkha. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Nothing. So, God forbid we say something differently. So you have it for a couple of days and then it's it's gone. Yeah, pretty and you much. Probably could have had it for months. Yeah, exactly. Ah, crap. So that's pretty just that's upsetting. This is from Wikipedia again. In July, after living in the bus for a little over two months, he decided to head back to civilization, but the trail was blocked by the impassable Teklanika River, swollen with late summer runoff from the Cantwell Glacier. The watercourse by that stage was considerably higher and swifter than when he'd crossed in April. Uh, McCandless didn't have a detailed map of the region and was unaware that there was an abandoned hand-operated cable car that crossed the river about a half a mile downstream from where he had previously crossed. Oh, no. You're kidding. Half a mile. 800 metres. Like, it's... Not far. And there's um, uh, a podcast that only came out earlier this year, You're Wrong About, where they talk about um, Chris McCandless and they're, and they're sort of mentioning that, like, if you've got a lot of kind of wilderness experience, you would continue up or, up or down the river to find another sort of crossing. There's got to be something. But he doesn't have a heap of that experience. Oh, I'm going to remember that first map. Mm. Follow a river. I mean, didn't we learn that? Who was the woman who fell out of the sky? Juliana Kupka. That's right. right. You follow a river. She followed the river. It eventually will hit the sea. Yeah. Or people. Yeah. You know? Or people. Or civilization because people we, use it as a water source. Yeah. We we build near rivers. You follow it and it, you get to the top of a mountain. <laughs> yeah. You got to follow the right direction. <laughs> you're like, ah. Oh, oh, and you get there and there's a soiree. You're not wearing your high heels <laughs> yeah. and your ball gowns. It's like, embarrassing. Oh, I'm so embarrassed, but also I really need help. <laughs> I fell from the sky. Yeah. Well, the um, other thing is that it, a, a small river will usually run into a large river. Yeah. Which might run into a larger river. You more likely to saw pe- see people or it'll hit the ocean. Right. But, yeah, it must be tough to sort of know which direction to go in because you could follow the river downstream for ages and ages and ages and ages and maybe find people or there could have been people mm-hmm. right behind yeah, you. Yeah, I you know? know, yeah. And with that, so a hand-operated cable car, so that would have worked. I think so, yeah. Oh, he he would have been able to cross the river. I hate that. Hate that for him. At this point, he headed back to the bus and re-established his camp. And in total, his journal documents over a hundred days, around four months, living in this area and using the bus as shelter, which is a really long time. Mm. The bag of rice had pretty much run out. Food was scarce, and Chris was unwell. Day one hundred and seven simply read "beautiful blueberries." Day one hundred and eight through one to one hundred and twelve contained no words and were marked only with slashes. And on day one hundred and thirteen, there was no entry. On September 6, 1992, a couple from Anchorage who were hi- out hiking arrived at the bus. Upon entering, they were hit immediately with a strong and awful smell and were also spooked by what looked like a lump on one of the beds. Oh. They see a note taped to the bus's rear exit door, which reads, SOS, I need your help. I am injured, near death, and too weak to hike out. I am all alone. This is no joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. I am out collecting berries close by close by and shall return this evening. Thank you, Chris McCandless. And then it says August with a question mark because he has no idea what month, date. Oh, right. He's sort of lost track of all sort of time. And that was sort of the appeal for him. 
was not knowing what mm. day it was. Not long after, another group, this time hunters, also arrived. So this bus hasn't seen anybody in ages and now on one day five people have turned up. Wow. The couple explained what they'd come across and one of the hunters went inside to investigate. And there he found Chris McCandless's body tucked into his sleeping bag. Police were radioed and arrived the next day and his body was removed from the bus. An autopsy on Chris McCandless found no broken bones or internal injuries, but because his remains weighed a mere 67 pounds or 30 kilos, Ooh, that's so little. starvation was recorded as the cause of death. In discussing the story of Chris McCandless, some people find it kind of interesting that he chose to sign off that SOS note with his real name, given that he'd been going by Alexander Supertramp for so long. But I, I kind of wonder if he did that in case he didn't live and then it would be easier to identify who it was. Who, who actually is, yeah. You know, if he writes Alexander Supertramp, there's no record of Alexander Supertramp being anybody, anywhere or anybody, so maybe. I, I don't know. Or at the end you're kind of going, oh, this is like sort of fun adventure. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> I, really need, I really need help like now. A, yeah, I need help. Sort of, yeah, the, the whole dream you had is. And the yeah. line, this ain't no joke, Yeah, probably works better if the name isn't Alexander Supertramp. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you would read that and go, ha, Supertramp. Yeah. <laughs> great name. That's funny. Great I'll name, keep, great joke. I'll keep going. I'll keep walking. Good stuff. <laughs> Hope I run into him. Yeah. <laughs> what a fun guy. And are we thinking that those blue, those delicious blueberries were in fact not blueberries? No, they probably were blueberries. Oh, okay. But I there are that, some theories. A few days later, the scratching is like, <laughs> gonna write, I thought the next entry was going to be like, those weren't blueberries. <laughs> oh, oh no. God. So, the story was covered in um, the Anchorage Daily News, picked up by the New York Times. Jim Gallion, the last person that'd seen him, the guy who gave him the boots, he thinks this dead hiker they're talking about is probably Alex, as does Chris's former employer and friend, Wayne Westerberg. They're like, mm. fuck, I think that's Alex. His oldest half-brother, Sam, is um, contacted by the Fairbank police and shown a photo of a gaunt man with a beard and long hair, the opposite of the shorn, clean-shaven sibling that Sam remembered. The exact date and time of his death are unknown. Near the time of his death, McCandless took a picture of himself waving while holding a written note which read, I have had a happy life and thank the Lord. Goodbye and may God bless all. They think he'd probably probably been dead for a couple of weeks before they found him. Jeez, that's still so close. Isn't it? Considering he was there for months. Mm. And like, yeah, just a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's always the way, isn't it? And also the fact that they were able to radio police and they could have come the next day. Mm. Yeah. If you'd had a radio or something like that, you could communicate, you'd be saved pretty instantly. Yeah. Mm. It's awful, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think the, oh, I don't remember. I think the hunters, they had like ATVs and worked at a local, oh, I don't remember. One of them, he had a radio on him for some reason and he kind of radioed back to his work and then they Mm. called police. So that was just lucky that he had it as well. And since his death, Chris McCandless has become something of a legend to some and a warning to others. So like I was saying before, he's very polarizing. People have very strong opinions about him and how and why he died. Some aspire to live more like him and admire his views on life and on living simply, while others think that he was arrogant to put himself in a situation he wasn't prepared for and died as a result, which is pretty brutal, but but also, I that like I think it seems like he made peace with that. It's like yeah. he's, he's taken his own life in his hands. Yep. So I don't really understand why people are like having a go at him for yeah, that. Yeah, who are angry well, at him for like, yeah. like was you know left by being like I'm going to go into the wild and live there and I'm going to do it. 
I'll definitely do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. There was he, he didn't no take arrogance. a family out there or something yeah. who were in his care. It was just him. Yeah. And in the last, that note, he said, you know, he he sounds like he made peace with it. Yeah. And it sounds, you know. I agree. It seems strange to be angry at somebody for, he didn't harm anybody else. Yeah, I don't see any If he'd arrogance. made different decisions, if he'd had different equipment, if he'd had a radio on him, if he had told people where he was going to be, whatever. He might have lived, but he didn't endanger anybody else. No, it just sounds like he's maybe slightly naive to the conditions. And also, it's not not really surprising that he was because he'd travelled for all over and and had gone fine. Mm. Why wouldn't this be fine too? Yeah, Yeah. totally. And I think he was about 24 or something, you know, like you are kind of a bit sort of young and you feel a bit bulletproof at that age. There's also been several theories as to how he died. Some say that it was a bit more complicated than just starvation. In Into the Wild, John Krakow speculates that Chris could have been poisoned by a toxic alkaloid um, after eating a certain type of seed containing the toxin or possibly by a mould that can grow on them when he put them in a plastic bag. So it's sort of like he's collected these seeds and that's okay, but if putting them in the bag can create a mould. And it's been looked into a lot and it essentially the alkaloid or the, the toxin inhibits the metabolism of glycoproteins which leads to starvation despite ample food consumption right so that's awful that's uh that's not that's something similar to what happened to burke and wills oh they ate these berries that weren't if they weren't or yeah i think it was fruit or berries or nuts or something and if they weren't prepared correctly the grains maybe they were yeah they had the opposite effect. They basically, you could you could keep eating it, but you'd get hungrier and hungrier because it would. That's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. And yeah, there's a there's an, another one as well. But in an article from the, the September 2007 issue of Men's Journal, correspondent Matthew Power states that extensive laboratory testing showed there were no toxins or alkaloids present in the seeds McCandless had been eating. The head of chemistry and biochemistry department at University of Alaska in Fairbanks, his name was Thomas Clawson, said, I tore that plan apart. There were no toxins, no alkaloids. I'd eat it myself. So they kind of ruled that one out. Okay. Another theory is that Chris had suffered from paralysis in his legs induced by a latherism, which prevented him from gathering food and hiking. This is, again, caused by consuming a certain type of seed which would be relatively harmless to someone who was well-nourished with access to a normal diet. So uh, as part of a balanced diet, fine, but would be toxic to someone who was malnourished, physically stressed, and on an irregular and insufficient diet, just like he was. And the guy from the university was like, no, I tore that plan apart. <laughs> I tore it apart. I had a bit of it. I would eat I'm it. Fine, it's fine. And I've had a balanced meal today and the, my entire life. Stop having a go at the plants around this area. They're fine. <laughs> the plants are lovely. <laughs> okay? Thank you. You should visit. <laughs> eat anything and everything. As Krakow points out, um, McCandless's field guide, that book he had about plants and stuff, of, um, didn't warn of any dangers of eating the seeds because they weren't known to be toxic when the guide was published. Uh. And Krakow suspects this is the meaning of McCandless's journal entry in July 30, which states, extremely weak, fault of potato seed, much trouble just to stand up, starving, great jeopardy. Oh, yeah. But again, that hasn't been proven, but that's just another sort of theory. Yeah, that does sound 
like that makes some sense based yeah. on that journal entry. So then. essentially because he wasn't eating enough or like enough of a varied diet and he was malnourished, that eating that then meant that he he's like was paralyzed or his legs were he couldn't wow. move so he couldn't go and hunt more. Horrendous. So what kind of happened was when this like the New York Times picked up this story. The story of what happened to Chris McCandless sort of it was widespread, and John Krakow was asked to write an article for Outside Magazine, which he did. It was a nine thousand word article um, entitled "Death of an Innocent," and it was published in January of ninety three. And it would then be the basis of his book "Into the Wild," which was published a couple of years later in nineteen ninety six. And the article and book were hits. Chris McCandless's story was very well known. The Magic Bus became a well-known destination for hikers, sort of like a pilgrimage destination. They all sort of people wanted to go and see where he had been living and and walk that trail. But the bus was in a really harsh and dangerous part of the wilderness, and several people experienced difficulties in trying to visit the bus where McCandless died. At least fifteen people were injured and required rescuing, and at least two people died while attempting to cross the river to reach the bus. Whoa! So in 2020, various government agencies coordinated with. Um, an Alaskan Army National Guard, um, it was like a training mission to finally remove the bus. They, like, chopped it out. <laughs> I just thought you said chopped it out wrong. <laughs> they chopped it out. <laughs> no, they, they used a chopper. They chopped it to the bus. They chopped it to the bus out. <laughs> and you were wondering why I didn't... Start again? No, or, I, just, yeah. I was just my brain slowly putting. No, she said she choppered. Yeah, sorry, it was and a weird way to say choppered it. it out. Choppered it out. <laughs> um, so they removed the bus, and um, in September of 2020, the Museum of the North at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks announced it became the permanent home of McCandless's magic bus, where it'll be restored and used as a as an exhibit. Um, Is that the same bus that shrinks down and goes on journeys through bodies? That's and stuff? the one. Yes, yeah, wow. you've heard of it. That's cool. <laughs> That's the magic school bus. Yeah. Oh. This is just magic yeah, bus. Come on. Oh, sorry. Okay. With, with a frizz? No way. <laughs> and so I've mentioned a couple of times how polarizing Chris's story is. And while John Krakow's book is probably viewed as it's very sympathetic towards Chris, others have expressed negative views about McCandless and those who romanticized his fate. And again, we've we've already said like that seems silly. Um, Alaskan park ranger Peter Christian wrote, When you consider McCandless from my perspective, you quickly see that what he did wasn't even particularly daring, just stupid, tragic, and inconsiderate. First off, he spent very little time learning how to actually live in the wild. He arrived at the Stampede Trail without even a map of the area. If he'd had a good map, he could have walked his way out of his predicament. But Sherry Simpson, writing in the Anchorage Press, described her trips to the bus with a friend and their reaction upon reading the comments that tourists had left, lauding McCandless as an insightful, Thoreau-like figure. Um, and she wrote, Among my friends and acquaintances, the story of Christopher McCandless makes great after-dinner conversation. Much of the time, I agree with the he had a death wish camp because I don't know how else to reconcile what we know of his ordeal. Now and then I venture into the what a dumb shit territory, tempered by brief alliances with the he was just another romantic boy on an all-American quest partisans. Mostly I'm puzzled by the way he's emerged as a hero. 
which is kind of interesting. As for his family, his sister Corrine wrote a book in, I want to say 2014, but I think I think it was earlier than that. And she sort of, that's kind of where most of the conversation around his early life came up because she wrote about it in her book, which I think just gave people a little bit more context as to why he kind of had that urge to run away. But anyway, she wrote, From the time we were small, still unaware of how children came to be, I remember Chris being consistently told through our mother's tears that the family struggles began with his birth when she became stuck with our dad. Chris carried this unfounded guilt with him until the wisdom that comes with age resulted in feelings of betrayal and eventually anger. This mislaid blame was never rescinded, only ignored. Seeing no alternative but to completely remove himself from the pain he could not manage, Chris had just cause to leave in the way that he did. For him, it was a matter of survival. He overcame adversity to live a positive and beautiful experience on this earth. His brothers and sisters understand and respect that, which I think is quite nice. Mm, Yeah. But I really like what Krakauer wrote in defense of Chris, claiming that what critics point to as arrogance was merely McCandless's desire for being the first to explore a blank spot on the map. He continues, In 1992, however, there were no more blank spots on the map. Not in Alaska, not anywhere. But Chris, with his idiosyncratic logic, came up with the elegant solution to this dilemma. He simply got rid of the map. In his own mind, if nowhere else, the terror would thereby remain incognita. So he's like, if there's, a, if it's a, if there's no map, then I'm discovering everything. Yeah. Right, but he could have just done that at the local shopping mall then. <laughs> Ignore them. Ignore the directory. <laughs> I'll find Sports Girl myself. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. That's the uh, the pretty tragic story of Chris McCandless. It is tragic. I, I wonder. Obviously, we'll never be able to answer this question. But what he would make of the fact that you know a best selling book, a massive Hollywood movie, all this stuff was made about his life. Yeah, when we're talking about it on a podcast. Obviously. Down the list of those three massive things, but of the other two <laughs> massive things, but it's it's amazing that he's become yeah like a folklore yeah. hero, and I wonder how he would feel about that. Yeah, he definitely has, particularly in the states, and and I think definitely in Alaska, um, he's sort of that modern myth folklore kind of character that everybody sort of knows the story of and sort has of like opinions a, on. A Walter Mitty type. Oh my god, yes. Thank you. This whole time I was like. <laughs> Who is this reminding this reminds me, of? me of? Someone, <laughs> and I can't put my finger on it. Um, yeah, so a pretty tragic story, it's but tragic. it's fascinating, though, isn't it? It's really interesting and just a different kind of, just a different kind of perspective on life. But we've done, we've done like similarish. He's often compared to Carl McCann mm. as well, um, which we've we've done that story as well. And yeah, a lot of people have suggested it. The patrons voted for it. They wanted to hear this story, so there we go. Yeah, I. I- I don't know. I, I kind of admire what he did, I think. But I understand. I guess they're nervous about it inspiring other people to be a bit reckless and maybe that's why they're like, he's, it's not worth admiring. He's It was um, stupid and he had yeah. a death wish. But it's it sort of at no point has he written anything or or written anything being like, you got to come out and yeah, do this. Yeah. He hasn't really even said that to people as he's travelling along. I, surely people are allowed to do that. Yeah. Well, I just don't understand why. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't know anyone anything. Yeah. yeah. You can do whatever you like with he didn't, your life. Yeah, he didn't that's harm right. anybody that, else. I, yeah, I agree with that. Why? Like, if he had dependence or there was some other thing mm. that, but it's just him. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand the issue. Yeah. And when I say he didn't harm anybody else, I mean, obviously it caused grief for his family, but. Sounds uh, like his siblings. Yeah. Are, are, 
okay with it. Yeah, which that I think sounds was, like they understand. Which was yeah. a nice sort of, I think, a really nice note from his sister, and um, yeah, they they kind of respect his his decisions there. I don't think they necessarily believe he went out there with the intention of that happening to him, but he, you're right, he seemed to have made peace with. With his choices. And honestly, even if he did, it's his life. Mm. Yeah. Do you like? Yeah. And he seemed to, you know, until he was quite unwell, he seemed to enjoy the life he was living. Yeah, he I, felt honestly, free. I am jealous of the freedom that he probably felt. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he just kind of, he was winging it. He was just like, we'll see where see where this takes me. And I think that's that's kind of admirable. But, yeah, it's a pretty, um, I don't know, this is it. This is why people have. So many strong opinions about it. It's kind of interesting. But, yeah, great podcast of um, You're Wrong About that you can go listen to. They kind of talk about um, a lot of the, like, the wilderness side of things too, which is quite interesting. What's the the idea of that podcast? They tell you things that are, like, common misconceptions or something? I think so. Yeah, right. haven't listened to heaps of it, but I did enjoy that episode. Well, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show, I believe, where we get to thank a few of our fantastic Patreon supporters. And uh, the first thing we like to do... Actually, before we get into that, Jess, what are some of the things that people can do if they get involved? They get to vote on uh, topics that we do, like a bunch of people voted for this topic today. They get uh, early access to tickets to live shows. They get three bonus episodes a month, and they get to be in the Facebook group, which we like to call the friendliest corner of the internet. Because it is. It's true. (laughs) It's not an ironic... Nickname. No, you don't imagine. go in there and it's like the you know the octagon or something. Yeah, yeah, they're all big bullies. Yeah, like they have in the octagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all bullies. <laughs> um, so the first thing we like to do is uh, a section called the fact, quote, or question segment. has a little jingle, actually. It goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ding. Ah, he always remembers the ding. Oh, she always remembers the thing. And the way this one works is if you are signed up on the Sydney Scheinberg level or above, you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question, or a brag, or a suggestion, or really anything at all. Some people have started giving us recipes even, and jokes. The first one this week comes from Justin McCain, or as we like to call him, a Mr. Justin, Justin McCain. McCain. He plays a silly game. And uh, Justin McCain has given himself the title of the official union agitator of the podcast, Ooh. brackets. Down with management. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Are we management? (laughs) I guess. Oh, no. There's nobody else. (laughs) Oh, God. We're the top and bottom of the chain. (laughs) Yeah, really, really are. I'm in the middle. (laughs) Of the chain. Yeah. Justin is giving us a quote writing, In honour of Brendan Fraser winning an Oscar, I'd like to offer up an amazing quote for everybody. And here it is. How'd you like to eat my shit? Yes. That is beautiful. Cinematic history. Sailor number two. Mm. What a role. He should have got the Oscar for that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he nailed that line. Mm. Did you see somebody posted in their Patreon group that he, um, like, on a talk show, they were like, do you remember your first line in a movie? And he, yes. he said it live on TV. Gosh. And we were like, oh, my God. He still got it. <laughs> he did it. He's still sailing on a He did it almost as good as Dave does it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, for the people who aren't. Uh, in the Patreon level, we get three bonus episodes a month, including our monthly Brendan Fraser podcast, where we go through his movies in order, phrasing the bar. His first ever movie was called Dogfight, and that was his first ever line in cinematic history. Only line in that movie. That was a beautiful line, too. Uh, thank you so much, Justin McCain. I uh, really appreciate you bringing that to our attention once again. Mm. Uh, the next one comes from Gary J from the UK, who's got the title of 
Wait, no, I'm not saying that. That's crook. If he thinks I'm going to say that, he can think again. What a sick dog. I think that's some sort of racial slur. Oh, Oh, no, it just says sir. What? (laughs) So that's quite a wordy title, but I appreciate that gaddy J. Feels like a stitch up. (laughs) Oh, no, oh, no. Uh, also a stitch up of what of, of Gary himself. Yeah, Gary stitched <laughs> Makes him himself sound up. real bad. <laughs> it does. Gary, think about it. Gary, I'd never say that. Gary, baby. <laughs> Gary, come on. <laughs> Gary, baby. <laughs> uh, Gary J, uh, what are, did I say what he's giving us? He's giving us a question. Oh. Gary's question goes a little something <laughs> like this. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a random question, but I like doing quizzes for mates. What is the best way to format it? <laughs> I like to do- This is, feels like a real Dave question. Mm. So, I like to do different types of rounds, but how many is too many? And how's best to give out points? If this is a crap question, could I just hear a snippet of a song from you all? Ta-ta for now. <laughs> Ta-ta. How do you structure uh, a quiz? I reckon- You've come to the right place, Gaddy Yeah. More smaller rounds are good with little breaks in between. I reckon maybe- And I reckon you capped it at about 10 questions in a round, I reckon. And maybe four. Yeah. Some quizzes you go to, they have about eight rounds. I reckon that's too many. Mm. And then also sometimes they do two rounds and they're super duper long. Yes. I think, that, I think that it's probably best. And then that way you can structure and be like, I like rounds two or three to be like a music round or something where it's just 10 Yep. Songs, name these artists, name these, name this decade, whatever. So I reckon, yeah. And then by the end of the night, you got you've had forty questions. That seems like a pretty That's good plenty. But also, you don't want it to drag on too long. I reckon two hours max. And part of his question was like, how do you give out points? I would say. If people yes. get the answer right. Correct mm-hmm. answers get points. Yeah. That's how I prefer to do I, it. I I'd think yeah. I'm with Jess on this one, and I'd say. One correct answer, one point. Yes. Okay, but how many points do you get for an incorrect answer? One incorrect answer, is that one point? No. See, this is where I differ from Jess. I don't think you should get a point for an incorrect okay. answer. Whereas I think you should get more <laughs> right. for trying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you really do. <laughs> <laughs> points for character. Mm. Points for enthusiasm. People who accidentally get one right in your quizzes are furious. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Gaddy J. Uh, do you have a bit of a song to sing, Jess? My baby takes a morning train. She works from nine to five and then he takes another home again to find me waiting for him. And the next one comes from Angelo Del Gaduch. I wish I could remember how to say your name right, Angelo. You need to write the phonetic one every time. I'm so sorry. If that's not right. I don't, I don't want, want to be wrong. wrong. <laughs> I don't want to be wrong is what I said. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and uh, what's well, because he, if he said I fucked if it. that yeah, was wrong. Yeah. I don't want to be right. I know I fucked it. So, so honestly, Jess, that's it, not Dave. on you. Thank you. Well, and if I was wrong, I admit to being wrong. <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> As Angelo's title is Lyndon B. Askin. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Which is fantastic. And- uh, uh, Angelo, okay, Lyndon B, is asking a question, writing, how hot are women? Oh, my God. Mm. Finally, someone brave yeah. enough to say Finally. it. I Let's, honestly think they're so hot. Let's get a scale going. What are we talking out of? Women, 10 out of 10. 10, out of 10. Yeah. Oh, what, about, what about on the Perinase scale? Is that the one where about shit? 
No, no. it's it's that's the, the Nando's. Nando's. Oh, the Nando's one. Like mild oh. lemon and herb. They're, they're definitely not lemon and herb. They're not lemon and herb. I think they're extra hot. Oh yeah. Extra hot. Sure. Extra hot for sure. <laughs> How extra hot are women? Oh, they are extra. <laughs> women are a bit extra. But uh Angela also says not their value, and I agree with that too. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, not their value. Absolutely not their value. Just their hotness. Level. We admire yeah. women for so many things. Mm. Um, and their it's hotness. rarely their hotness. <laughs> That's down the list. Yeah. Obviously, it's their brains, mm. their, their brawn. brawn. <laughs> their lemon and herb. Their lemon and yeah. herb. Lemon um, and or. Their ability to just, you know, get it done. Totally. Mm. Be boss bitches. That's right. Can do attitude. <laughs> uh, thank you for that beautiful question, Angela. Mm. And they smell quite nice. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's too far, is that it? That somehow felt like that was too far. Yeah. <laughs> well, you draw a weird line, but all right. Well, I'm just picturing you going around smelling people without their yeah. consent. But Well, there's consent. <laughs> Hello, May I, smell smell you? <laughs> I have a little sniff. Have you ever smelled me? Yeah. Well, we remember because I asked you for permission. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. May I smell you? <laughs> uh, thank you, Angelo. The final one this week comes from Chloe Warren, aka Wait No. And uh, <laughs> Chloe's. <laughs> I love it. My grandmother, who we called Nanny, had a best friend called Barbara who moved overseas in her early 20s. Around the time Nanny was pregnant with my mum, thus my nanny, not mum, as written in my original submission. Oh, my God. This was, I think this is a callback to an earlier fact quota question. Right. It's ringing bells. Yeah, it is. Uh, so this is a correction. Yes, this is a correction. We thus, don't get many corrections. No. Fact, quote, or correction. <laughs> <laughs> so, thus my nanny, not my mum, as written in my original submission, decided to name my mum Barbara in honour of her best pal who she had just been separated from. I hope this isn't too confusing, as I know Matt only reads these when he reads them. Thank you so much for um, taking that in, Chloe. And thank you so much for that correction. Mm. I think now we can correct the official, uh, what, do you, what do they call it in, in the parliament? Well, the Hansard. The Hansard. The Hansard. We can have updated. the Hansard corrected now. What the fuck now. is a Hansard? <laughs> Everything you say in parliament is written down. By what? Like a sonographer's taking notes of everything. And I then it, did not know that. And then it's kept. It's called Hansard. It's kept forever. So like when they, even when they say like outrageous stuff, like you're a fucking idiot. Like someone mutters that. They're like, I'm gonna write that in. Right. Fantastic. Into Hansard. That is, it's in Hansard forever. Wow. And you can go check it. It's, it's on the public record. That's your right to go read what they said. Oh god, that'd be so boring. That's your responsibility. Oh <laughs> no. You've got to read it all. This is part of my job. Yes. Ah. I'm sorry. As a citizen. Oh. Thank you to our great fact quotes and questions there, Chloe, Angelo, Gaddy, and Mr. Justin McCain. And the next thing we like to do is shout out to a few of our other fantastic supporters. Now, Bob, you normally come up with a bit of a game based on the topic at hand. Yeah, look, a pretty grim topic. So I'm thinking Chris McCain has had the magic bus. Mm-hmm. What's their magic mode of transportation? Okay, fantastic. Oh, I love it. Uh all right. Well, if I can kick us off, I'd love to go all the way over to Clovis in California and thank Jamie Horayo. Jamie Horayo. Jamie, the magic drone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on top or being sort of picked up like on suspenders. Don't overthink it. 
It's just a magic drone. Well, the magic it's... bus was like a broken down bus. Yeah. So I assume this drone is just like a <laughs> dead drone. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much, Jamie, and your magic dead drone. Uh, next up, I'd love to thank from Narrabeen in New South Wales in Australia, Peter. Peter. With the magic snowmobile, Ooh. which would have come in very handy. Yeah, that would have been uh, Unfortunately, good it's also broken down. <laughs> but you can sleep inside it? Yeah. yeah. Or on top of it? Yeah, yeah. And it has a stove. <laughs> yeah. It's a small platform. You can set fires in a stove. Oh, my God. Now we're talking. <laughs> now we're cooking. It's stove. <gasps> you say, is P-E-T-A Peter or Pet Peter? Peter. Peter. Great. Thanks so much, Peter. And finally from me, I'd love to thank from Waterloo in New South Wales, Australia. It's Cam. <laughs> Waterloo. <laughs> oh, 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 I can something you want a war. Dancing queen. <laughs> Young and free. Should we do a karaoke night? <laughs> we really should. Abba only. Oh, my God. Don't tease Super me. Super trooper. <laughs> Super pa, trooper. <laughs> I'm doing the backups. Oh, thank you so um, much. Cam. From Waterloo. The magic. A uh, Razor scooter. Whoa. Oh, sweet. That's actually fucking sick. Love it. Unfortunately, it's broken down. What? Oh, yeah, man. They're hard to break down. <laughs> so disappointing. Could I thank some people as well? I'd love it if you did. Well, I would love to thank from address unknown. We Ooh. can only assume deep within the fortress of the moles. Oh, my God. I would love to thank Paloma. Paloma. Oh, Paloma. Great name. Love Beautiful that name. name. Beautiful Paloma. name. Is that a style of horse? Maybe. Maybe. Beautiful name either way. Well, there's not a horse there on. They're travelling on the magic penny farthing. Oh. Broken down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that is unfortunate. <laughs> what are the odds? Damn. I think you're thinking, oh, no, Paloma, uh, you might, mm, it might be Palomino. Palomino is probably what I'm thinking of. Also, great name, Palomino. But Paloma? Paloma, Paloma looks like it's a cocktail, a tequila-based Cocktail. Mm. There's also the Paloma Equestrian Centre in Queensland yeah. has come up. So That's probably is that what you're thinking of. Thank you, Paloma. I'd also have to thank also from Address Unknown. We oh can only assume deep within the Fortress of the Moles. What are they doing down there? Kate Elliott. <laughs> Kate, Kate Elliott. Elliot. Uh, obviously, Kate Elliott for some reasons make me think of... <laughs> The Magic Tap Shoes. Mm-hmm. Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot, okay. Yeah, the Magic Tap Shoes are a fantastic mode of transport. You yeah. can tap a tap all the way to the bank. Unfortunately, though, they are broken down. Oh, <laughs> they are not tap-a-tap-a-tapping. A tap-a-tap-a-tapper. <laughs> um, so, sorry about that, Kate, but, um, but still, you look beautiful. And look your fantastic. feet, you've got, you know, no one can take your feet away from you. No one yes. can take your feet they away They still from tap, you. they just, you can't move in them. Yeah. Uh, so, you can tap on the spot. Stationary. Yeah, stationary tap-a-tap-a-tapper. <laughs> this still sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice then. Um, and finally, for me, I would love to thank from Leicester in Great Britain, Emily Hall. Emily Hall in the Magic Semi Trailer. Ooh, oh, yeah. that's they, a good one. You can sleep inside those. Oh yeah, so yeah. they've got that little cabin out back. I've never seen what it looks like in there, but I imagine it'll be nice and cozy. I've mm. been in there. It's nice. Really? Where yeah, have you been in cozy. there? My um, wait. What are we talking about? Like a, a big rig, sort of? Yeah, one of those big rig trucks, like the road trainee type. We just a big truck, you know. And they have that little. Little sort of porthole cabiny like door that you go inside, and I think you can sleep in there. Is that where you've been? Yeah. So where I uh, used to live as a kid in Charlton, the our friends, the uh, Mick O'Brien, had uh, was a truckie. So I used to get to drive around with him a few times, get to hang out in the back there. Well, that's fun. Yeah, but yeah, so cool. That's cool. Oh, I'm doing a bit of a Google now. I'm, I'm obsessed. You're looking up uh, O'Brien's transport. Yeah, I'm on there. Great reviews. 
Great Dave, we are, not, favor. we are not buying a Dugo on semi-trailer. <laughs> oh, it would be so cool. We already have the combi van. Oh, they're all good for branding. I don't know if the semi's going to help us that much, mate. Come on. Because we've got to just park it in Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to thank some people? I would love to thank some people as I close my tab on semi-trailer <laughs> cabin beds. Actually, I'm going to keep it open for later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with I watch um, videos of people doing up vans and turning them into places they'd sleep. I have, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I have no interest in ever actually doing that myself. I have a bit of a Chris McCandless about that. Like I'm sort of in terms of I would like to do it for a long weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, like, I think I like the idea of it, but actually doing it, I'd be like, oh, fuck oh, that. No. Same with like I see a lot of videos of like families who live in their RV the entire like year round in America and they'll stop at a site and just watching their process of how to like connect sewerage and power and this I'm like I'm already over it. Oh right. It's yeah. Too much work. So it's fun it. for a long weekend if someone's already set up the sewerage and power. Yeah, yeah. I'm we not- had a rule on the on the last beer pioneer shoot that uh we're not hooking up the sewerage. If you need to go, you you go in you a can- building somewhere. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Because what were you sleeping in was a caravan y type. Yeah, well, there was a yeah, van, like a camper van. We're not hooking up the sewerage, so it's going to stay in there. And yeah. we're fine with that. <laughs> you don't shit where you sleep. <laughs> it's going to stay w- in your butt. Yeah. As a gentleman, I don't do that exactly. anyway. So Just the, rule, for the others. rule didn't apply. Mm-hmm. Hey, I would like to thank from Eglinton in New South Wales. Eglinton Egl- sounds like a fun spot. I've never, never heard of that before. Eglinton, it's Rebecca Patterson. Oh, the magic right on mower. Oh, that's fun. Unfortunately, it is broken down. <laughs> so, does it, still, does it still mow, but still in one spot? Only in the one spot. <laughs> so, that spot hasn't had grass forever. No, you can't see it because the mower's covering it, but mm. still, it's um, it's beautifully shorn. Perfectly trim. Mm. Eglinton, in the northern suburb of Bathurst. Might have a big block out there with a- Holy moly. Near it, what, under the shade of- Mount Panorama. Yeah, absolutely. So close. Do you know Brocky? Do you Rebecca? Know Brocky? Have you ever met Brocky? And could Brocky maybe get under the hood of your lawnmower and get it going oh again? Oh my god! Tinker away. If he was still alive, I reckon he could. But you know, you should call Rebecca Dick Johnson. Dick Johnson. <laughs> yep. Get on the Dick. Dick will definitely be around. One eight hundred Dick. Sure, that's something. Dick or Dick's son. Um, they'll be up there. At least around October time. Dick Johnson Jr. Around Bathurst 1000 time. <laughs> Good on you, Rebecca. I'd like to thank from Skeens Creek in Victoria. I know it well. Really? Where's yeah, that? Yeah, it's just I mean, like Apollo Bay. It is that. Where is it? Yeah, near Wire River. Fantastic, mm-hmm. beautiful part of the world. I would like to thank from Skeens Creek, Louise Falls. A lot of waterfalls around there too. That oh, feels like okay. a fitting name. Would you think this could be a waterfall? Oh, my God, imagine. Are we being supported here by a waterfall? Well, keeping, Louise it, Falls? keeping it water-based, mm. magic tugboat. Oh, yeah. The magic tugboat. Toot, toot. Is it? Oh, I love a little tugboat. Is it going or is it broken down? It is actually going. Thank the goodness. ship it's trying to tug is broken down. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's when it comes to its own. Yeah. Tugboat says, I'll take I'll it from t- you. I'll tug you the whole way. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Where you want to go? <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'm a tugboat. I'm a tugboat. That's what I do. I'll give you a tug. <laughs> a tug all night, tug all day. Thank you so much, Louise Falls. Finally, from me, I'd like to thank from King's Meadows in Tasmania. That's a beautiful sounding place. Lots of Aussies today, yeah. too. King's Meadows in Tasmania. It's Monica Coca. Monica Coca. Uh, a mule. A, a uh, magic, magic mule. mule. Magic mule. Yeah. And. Unfortunately, it is broken down. <laughs>
<laughs> but it's still like it'll still pull, mm-hmm. but just on the spot. It's still a beast of burden. It will still mule coke for you okay. or whatever. But or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now but it this, but it's on it's on wheels. Yeah. Now I don't want to. I don't want to read it out in case you don't want people to know. But Monica's email is at a website dot com dot And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll look up what that is. And you go to the website, and it takes you to this homepage where it says press press any key to begin, and then you can just play Pong on their homepage of their website. Oh my god, I love okay, Pong. Okay, that's sick. All right, well, can you so you two finish this episode? I'm gonna go. Pong. Oh, and then you control it with your oh, Monica. This is very cool. <laughs> Don't know what your website's for, but I love it. Oh, the paddles are so small. Oh yeah, this is difficult. I've been, I'm being oh. smashed. Here. Oh, I got one in. Oh, we're playing pong. <laughs> we're playing pong here. Pong on. Jesse, you ponging on? I'm not ponging oh, on. Oh, getting flogged here. Yeah, it's difficult. Monica, thanks, but you've uh, really distracted the podcast this week. <laughs> you've ruined our lives. <laughs> pong, bing, pong. Ah, oh. ah. Oh. When do I lose? I'm then okay there. Five nil. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to our great supporters: Monica, Louise, Rebecca, Emily, Kate, Paloma, Cam, Peter, and Jamie. And the last thing we need to do is welcome a few people into our Triptych Club. We've got the half D coming in today, half dozen. And uh, Jess, how, how does this work? Um, basically, if you've supported us over our Patreon for three consecutive years on the which level is it again? Shout out level or above. Shout out level or above. Um, you get to be brought in, welcomed in. Oh yeah, with open arms. Mm-hmm. You better believe it. And open hearts. Open hearts. Mm-hmm. Open butts. Open pants. <laughs> open <laughs> pants if you want. Um, and we have a bar, and we have uh, music, and we have all sorts of amazing stuff. So um, it's a really fun place. Once you're in, you cannot leave. That's the, the Hotel California. But in a good way. In, yeah, a, in yeah. a good way, yes. And uh, Jess, you normally have cooked up some sort of a, a dish or a, a cocktail. Well, here's the problem. Oh, are you making Palomas today? I'm making Palomas, absolutely, yes. Fantastic. Um, I just lost 5 nil again. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you went looking me in the eye. Um, but here's the problem. Like, bef- I, I was meal prepping before I wrote this report and I do have a lot of those potato seeds. Oh no. So right. the ones oh, that- oh. I want to get are we still going to use them or Well, I I'm going to But I like things to go to waste here. I'm going to yeah. serve them with like lots of veggies and And just only if you've you've got a balanced diet. Exactly right. I'll these. I'll interview everybody yeah. as they come through double check. Everyone present your food diary for mm. the last month and I'll and assess I'll, on we'll a case see. by case. We'll see. Sip on this Paloma while we're waiting. Yeah, that's nice. All right, and Dave, you've booked a band for the after party? You're never going to believe this. What have you done? I've booked this this act four years in advance because really? they're so busy. And we've got none other than Eddie Vedder coming in, who also happens to have performed the soundtrack to the Into the Wild movie. Oh, His wow. debut solo album. That's was how this I know movie. this. That's how I've heard of it. I reckon I've heard that soundtrack. I was really hoping it was going to be Super Tramp, but okay. Well, I mean, he's booked it so far in advance. This is three, this, this this coincidence in, in itself <laughs> is incredible. I mean, I'm just saying, can we add Supertramp to the Let's list? Let's get him in. I would can love to get, get him in. Yeah, give him a bell. I'll call him up, maybe. But they might, a couple of years from now, we'll probably get him in. Because it takes a long time with these people. But Eddie Vedder's here, guys. Amazing. Doing the Into the Wild soundtrack as well as a few Pearl Jam classics. <laughs> awesome. 
elderly, elderly woman, woman behind, behind a counter in a small town. That's my favourite. <laughs> Love that tune. <laughs> Me too. I see he played that when I saw him solo at the Palais because oh. I think that's one of his and it is like just an acoustic-y sort of. Anyway, let's welcome in these fantastic six people. I'm standing on the door. I've got the clipboard with mm-hmm. these six names. I'm about to lift the velvet rope. If you hear your name, please run into the room. <laughs> if we- you don't hear your name, stay where you stay are. Stay where you are. We're but not if ready. you hear your name, jog in. Dave's about to hype you up. He's on stage. He's the MC. Jess is also hopping up Dave. Here we go. And I'll probably um, punch up their work a little bit if, if need be. Now, I'm not sure why you would need be because it won't need be. Okay. Well, we'll see. Just, just in case. Uh First up, from Ballarat in Victoria, Australia, it's Justin Rayburn. This Justin Rayburn. <laughs> he ain't no Ballarat. No notes. Next up, from Burnage in Great Britain, maybe in Manchester, it's Matt King. Give it up for the king. Oh, we bow down we to bow the king. We bow down. Woo woo. <laughs> from On the throne. Get My in liege. there. From Corinda in Queensland, Australia, it is Bruce Kelso. Well, first hop in the Spruce Bruce and then hop into the club, Bruce. Yes, Bruce. From I Oxford said hop in. But in Great Britain, it's Nick Fidian. There once was a man called Nick Fidian. Grew whiskers on his chin again. <laughs> Get in there, Nick. Get in there, Nick. From Wildwood Crest in New Jersey in the United States, it's Brady McDonough. I don't wanna I don't wanna throw no shady because we've got Brady. Oh McDonough. And finally from Darwin in the Northern Territory in Australia, it's Bernard Murray. Hey, I was in a hurry, but I'm gonna slow things down as I introduce you to B E R N A R D Bernard Murray. Welcome into the club, Bernard, Brady, Nick. Bruce, Matt, and Justin. Yeah, Matt, you kept your mouth shut that time, didn't you? Well, no, Dave was doing great work. Exactly right. Appreciate I think you. the first time you I give, could say that. When you give him the cha- the space to fly. Exactly. Give him space. Hey, Dave, sometimes you've got to take space. As a feminist, I can say that. Now, <laughs> <laughs> how did he slip this in? I don't in? get it. Hey, Dave, <laughs> how do, you, how, do you check everyone's website, by the way? Because that was... <laughs> I didn't it think was it only because didn't uh, strike me as weird until just then. I'm like, hang on a second, are you? It just it was because I was reading out the name and then I don't want to give away too much about the the email, but the it it, it caught your attention. It looks like a family website, and I was wondering, oh, I wonder if it's a family business or something. So I just happened to Google it, and then um, <laughs> the bomb game came up, and here we are. Here we are. I'm uh, nil three at the moment. <laughs> Just while you're telling people anything we need to tell them before we go? Uh, just that if they would oh, like to- five nil. If they would like to suggest a topic, there's a link in the show notes. There's also a link on our website, which is Do Go On Pod, where you can find merch and live show information and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and you can find us on social media at Do Go On Pod as well. So good. You've nailed that, Bob. Now, Davey boy- Boot this baby home. Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, we'll say thank you so much for listening. And until then, goodbye. Later. Bye. I just lost again. (laughs) (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.